Amen. You may be seated this morning. Again, it's good to see you at Calvary Chapel. Sunday mornings, as most of you know, we're doing a verse-by-verse study in John's Gospel. So we're going to be in John chapter 10. If you'll turn in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 10, we'll cover verses 1 through 18 of John chapter 10. We've covered the first nine chapters of John. Now we'll go into chapter 10. Almost halfway done with this incredible gospel. So John chapter 10, we'll start reading at verse 1. Again, John has some extra Bibles. There's some on the front platform if you want to grab one and study God's Word with us, read it with us. You recall that in chapter 9 that we finished up last week that Jesus had healed a man who was born blind. And it was an absolutely amazing miracle. And we saw as a result of that, the religious leaders, of course, had been mounting their opposition against Jesus, growing in their hatred of him. Jesus did this miracle on the Sabbath day, and so the religious leaders were really angry about that because they believed there is to be no healing on the Sabbath. So what they did is they took this man who was healed by Jesus and they excommunicated him from the Jewish religious system as the Pharisees would expel him from the synagogue. They would put him out. But it was at that time when Jesus would find him and minister to him, and that man whose eyes were opened up physically... By the time that we got to the end of the chapter last week, we saw, more importantly, his eyes would be opened up spiritually as he would come to believe that Jesus was truly the Son of God. And as we moved into now into chapter 10, Jesus will begin to talk in terms of his sheep who know him. He's the good shepherd who takes care of those who belong to him. So, Father, we ask that you would bless this time in the study of the Word of God as we go into this wonderful chapter as Jesus makes another declaration, I am, I am the good shepherd. And just as we have seen that he talked about light and darkness, that we uh, come to the one who is the light of the world, Jesus Christ, and we no longer live in darkness, but Lord, we also know that you're the good shepherd who desires to feed us and tend us and care for us and protect us. So, Lord, may those truths come out this morning as we make application. And, Lord, just to to know you and to know of your faithfulness and goodness to us, we want to know the Good Shepherd even more this morning than when we came in. So thank you for this time and God's word and your word given to us. And uh, help us be attentive. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So the man of John chapter 9 would be uh, uh, those who uh, believed in Jesus and would be considered his sheep. And we know that as Jesus begins to talk about being a good shepherd, the chief shepherd, we are his sheep. We, we know his voice. It is in terms that Jesus is using that the people 2,000 years ago, back to this time, could relate to and understand. Now, sheep and shepherds in this day, to us, to a lot of us, even though we live in an agricultural area in Well County here, a lot of us aren't that familiar with sheep and shepherds and, and things like that. It may be a bit foreign to us, but not to them in, in the days of John chapter 10. Sheep and shepherds were well known indeed. Matter of fact, throughout the scripture, we see, for example, that sheep and shepherds are mentioned numerous times from Genesis all the way through the scriptures. 
Matter of fact, when we start the book of Job this Wednesday, we're going to see that Job, the oldest book of the Bible, that Job himself had 7,000 sheep. We go in the book of Genesis, the patriarchs, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they had many sheep, many herds of animals, and it would speak of how God blessed them. It would speak, actually, of their wealth. We know that Moses and David, two great leaders of Israel in the Old Testament, were both shepherds. And, of course, the prophets would make many analogies and illustrations from shepherd and, and sheep tending. So the analogy of sheep and shepherds are nothing new to the people that Jesus here is going to be addressing in this chapter. It would be kind of like in Colorado if we talked about skiing. People are, are, even though you may not ski, are familiar with the concept of skiing. Maybe in Southern California, it might be surfing, something like that. So the shepherd in Jesus' day, is, as Jesus is talking to them, and the people would picture that shepherd, um, it was common in this culture, common at this time. They were very special people who lived a very simple lifestyle. And what is interesting, when you go to Israel today, you can go right outside of Jerusalem, and you can see the shepherds, and most of them are Bedouins that are around that area uh, as you head down towards the Dead Sea, around Bethlehem. Even today, you see the shepherd boys that are out there with their sheep, and the sheep are following the shepherd boy or that man that is out there. They're, they're living in tents, much like it was even back in the days of Abraham. So it's very fascinating to see that, that that lifestyle is very much lived by those not only in Israel, but throughout the Middle East in, um, in you know, tending sheep and, and goats and things like that. Now, concerning the shepherd, they would picture the shepherd. They would know that a shepherd in Jesus' day would, first of all, have a sling. And that sling was one thing that was used of David in that familiar story of 1 Samuel chapter 17, when David took out Goliath, he defeated Goliath. Uh, he would put a small stone into that sling, and they were very, very accurate. Matter of fact, you can buy those slings today in Israel if you go there. And that sling, they would kind of put a rock in, and they would swing it, and then they would you know, release that rock as uh, it would come out of that sling, and they would become very accurate. Of course, we know that David would uh, take a rock, and with one rock, uh, went right in between the eyes of that giant Goliath, and he went down. But they were very accurate with it. And you recall that in that story of 1 Samuel chapter 17, that David told Saul that, you know what, I, I've had to fight off bears and wolves. So they would use that to fight off predators, or sometimes they would keep that sheep from wandering, and they would use that sling to drop a rock in front of their nose, something like that. But also, not only did he have a sling with some rocks in their, their pockets, but the shepherd would also have a horn of oil that would be tied to his belt. And the oil was used to anoint the head of the sheep, to keep the fleas and ticks off their heads. And sometimes what would happen is the sheep, and particularly if they had goats, and they would begin to butt heads. And, and if they had those goats or sheep that were doing that, what that shepherd would do is he would take the oil and anoint their heads. And so when they started butting heads, it, it would uh, reduce the friction and their heads would kind of, as they hit, would kind of slip off of each other. And of course, as we read in the psalm as we began our service this morning, that the psalmist David, who was a shepherd, tells us that the shepherd anoints our heads with oil. 
And I know for me, when there is friction in my life, when there's friction with other people or family members, whatever it might be, that I need that fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. Um, I need a work of the Holy Spirit in my life um, when it comes to those uh, that perhaps you have a tendency to want to butt heads with. We need the Lord working in our lives. So here was the shepherd that had a sling. He had a, a, a jar, a little horn of oil. And then a shepherd also would have a club-like instrument that was called a rod. And the rod was used to beat away predators that was amongst the flock. And as a shepherd, you mom and dads, as you shepherd your, your family, your children, as me as the under-shepherd to Jesus Christ, the shepherd of this church, we are called to guard, to protect, and, and it's a work that we are to do to keep those who are predators uh, that come into our homes, uh, keep them from coming into uh, our families or to our children, to this church. We have a rod of authority that we are to use. So the shepherd having a sling, having a horn of oil, his rod and his staff. And that staff, you've seen perhaps pictures of it in, in Christian art, that is a long stick with a hook on the end. And he, the shepherd would use that staff to hook around the neck of, of the sheep who were perhaps heading in the wrong direction, kind of hook them, you know, and pull them back and, and keep them safe. Maybe you've seen pictures in, in Christian bookstores of, of the shepherd that has that hook and he's pulling a sheep off a ledge or from a pit, you know, that they have fallen into, pulling them up into safety. And again, as we read Psalm 23, David wrote that thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And I know that, Lord, there are times that you have to pull me back out of that pit, out of that, that ledge that I'm on that, that I could fall off of. And it's for safety and protection, and it's to comfort me. His staff working in my life to protect me from being hurt or, or destroyed. So it would be common for the shepherd that they, he would have those things. And also, well, it was a practice, and still is even today, that the shepherd would take his sheep, and they, if they were near communities they would uh, have these sheepfolds that uh, several of the shepherds would bring their sheep into. It was called a common sheepfold, and they would put their sheep there at night, and those sheepfolds were made of stone, uh, rocks that were uh, two, three, four feet high, and different shepherds would bring their sheep into the common sheepfold, and then the sheep would be there, and they would be safe overnight. And the next morning, uh, what would happen is usually there'd be one or two shepherds that would stay there on guard to protect the sheep. The rest of the shepherds would go home for the night. And then the next morning, what they would do is they would come and get their sheep. They would come and get their um, flock, and they would do that by uh, giving a call. So with all this in mind, that's what I want to give you as a background as we open up chapter 10 here. Now, remember this, that this sermon is coming as a result of Jesus' confrontation with the religious leaders. The religious leaders of the day in Israel were terrible shepherds. And Jesus is going to say, I'm the good shepherd. And Jesus has been talking about light and darkness, now talking about 
sheep and shepherds, as verse 1 of chapter 10 of John, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. So again, that sheepfold was that enclosure. Uh, it would only have one door where the sheep would enter into and exit out of, and only a shepherd would be there that uh, would be at the door and would be able to come in and out. And the shepherd or one of the shepherds at night would sleep at that doorway. And the reason was is because he would protect the sheep from those who would want to come in and steal away the sheep. Now, usually those who stole sheep, they would work in tandems of two or three guys, you know, and one of the guys would hoist his buddy up over the wall, and he would go over and grab a sheep and throw it to his buddy over, and, and they would try to steal sheep in that way. And they would do that at night, and um, there were those who would try to steal away the sheep or, or the goats because that was their measure of wealth back in those days. So the people knowing about how sheep would be stolen, Jesus uses the analogy of the one who climbs up on the sheepfold, that he is a, a robber, he's a thief, but verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So the true shepherd will enter into the door the only way to get into that sheepfold. He is the one that will care for the sheep. He is the one that will feed the, the flock and tend the sheep. All others that come over the wall, climb over, are there to harm the sheep, to steal. Those who climb over the wall are wanting to rip the flock off and to kill. And you can always tell where a person or a group is coming from by are they desiring to feed and tend and care for the flock or are they desiring to rip off the flock or to beat the sheep or to bring harm to the sheep. Jesus continues in verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens and uh, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And again, when the shepherd, when they would use the common sheepfolds for the night, uh, the shepherd, some of them going home for the night, but they would always leave at least one on guard duty with the sheep, and the shepherds, uh, then returning in the morning, they would get their sheep. The doorkeeper would allow them to come in and get their sheep. And again, the shepherd would have a distinct call or a song or a whistle. And it's interesting um, that if you sit and you watch those shepherds, you know, those Bedouins outside of Bethlehem or Jerusalem, sometimes you can see that. You can hear the shepherd with this whistle or this, this call that he has. And the sheep recognizing that would come and they would begin to follow that shepherd, come out of the sheepfold and follow him for the day. But before we leave verse 3 here, I do want to draw attention where it says that the shepherd leads them out. He would walk and the sheep would follow the shepherd naturally. He didn't push them out. The shepherd didn't beat them into submission so that they would follow him. He didn't drive the sheep out. He led them. They knew his voice. The sheep didn't follow the voice of a stranger because sheep are very, very timid and won't go to the voice of one that they don't recognize. And of course, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture that Jesus is giving to them and will explain to them that he is indeed the good shepherd. As the psalm that we read in chapter 23 
of the book of Psalms concerning our Lord, that He leads me beside the still waters. He leads me to the path of righteousness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And in verse 6 of John chapter 10, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. So Jesus used this illustration about sheep and, and shepherds and calling sheep and leading them and sheepfolds and all this that we've been talking about. And it isn't that they didn't understand about, you know, shepherds taking care of their flock. They understood that. What they didn't understand was the spiritual meaning. They didn't understand that he was the good shepherd and, and those who believed in him, that they belonged to him. They were his sheep. And so verse 7, Jesus said to them again, and I noted that the other day when I was looking at this again, that he said to them again, Jesus didn't get frustrated with them and start, you know, coming down on them and yelling at them and saying, you guys, don't you get this? You guys are as dumb as those sheep. Don't you see it? I ought to write you off. And he isn't frustrated with them. But he's so patient with them. He speaks to them again. And I mention that because the Lord is so patient with us, isn't he? I know I'll speak for myself. He is with me. That he tells me things over and over and over again because I have a tendency to forget. I have a tendency that I don't always get it. And any of us that are parents, you know, with their children, sometimes we can get a little frustrated because we tell them things and we have to do it repeatedly. And we have to learn patience. One of the things about being a parent is it will teach you to be patient, won't it? And so our Lord is so patient and long-suffering with us. And so he'll speak to us again, speak truth to us. And I know it's true for me where I say, oh, Lord, I remember. Of course, thank you, Lord, for, for speaking this truth to me again. And, of course, Paul and Peter both, when they were writing uh, in the New Testament, they would talk about that I will not be negligent to remind you of these things again. And so it's important for us to continually, you know, repeat truth to others, for us to receive it and embrace it as well. And that's what Jesus is doing here is he said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So Jesus has spoken about the door of the sheepfold, but notice here that Jesus is saying that he is the door. So what is he saying here? The sheepfold that we just discussed, that would be made of stone, that were located by the communities, and the sheepfolds that shepherd would use out in the field. And not only would they bring the sheep in when it was nighttime to protect them at night, but if there was bad weather. And when you go around Bethlehem, Bethlehem is, is real hilly, and it's rock outcrops, and there's kind of like cave-like in, in, enclosures that are there. And even today, they will use those cave-like enclosures as they will use them as sheepfolds to kind of put the sheep back in that protective area. If the weather gets bad, if the rain comes, or if there is a predator and the sheep are scared and there's danger, the shepherd could call them and, and kind of get them in that the cave-like uh, you know, sheepfold that they would use that would be out there in those fields. And it's probably, by the way, as Christmas will be coming up here, the Christmas season, in that story of Jesus being born, um, you know, and laid in a manger, uh, it was a stable or probably one of those at the edge of town of Bethlehem, as there's no room for, 
you know, Joseph and Mary at the inns or the private houses or any of that. So they found a little, you know, animal enclosure with a manger that was probably one of those enclosures that were used for sheep and goats and other animals there on the edge of Bethlehem. And so the shepherd, as he would bring them in at night or bring them in during that time of they were threatened or bad weather would come, the shepherd would lay across the entrance or be at the entrance. And he was the door. So it would keep the wolves out, keep the predators out. Thieves would, would not come in at that time. The, the sheep wouldn't be able to wander out where um, often a danger of night or where there was danger from predators. So Jesus is saying, and note this, that I am the door. He did not say that I am a door. He did not say that I am one of many doors. He said that I am the door of the sheep. So verse 8, as he continues, or as we read, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus making this, again, very wonderful declaration that I am the door, the only one by which salvation comes, that you may be saved. And also I am the door, the only one that can bring people to enter into God's provision for you. And you will find pasture, as he says, and again, the 23rd Psalm, as David says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. No one else can produce that for you. He says, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. And perhaps he's referring to the religious elite of the nation. Remember, he is addressing them. The religious leaders didn't care about the people. They only showed contempt for the people. They ruled over the people with a heavy hand. And they were robbing the people from coming into that closeness and, and, and relationship with God. But Jesus also is addressing anyone that comes along and says, I have a way for you to come into eternal life. This is a way for you to come to God. All others are false. They are thieves and robbers. Anyone who comes along and says, I, I am the way to, to you for living life abundantly, they are false. And they're going to rip you off. And they're out to steal from you. They're going to rob you of truth. So the thief does not come, as Jesus says, except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The true shepherd comes to save sheep. A false shepherd wants to steal and to destroy, is what he says. We have seen throughout John's gospel that Jesus has already claimed that he is the one who gives eternal life. I am the bread of life, Jesus said in John chapter 6. If you believe in me, you shall live forever. He told the religious leaders that if you do not believe that I am he, then you will die in your sins. And now he says to them, I am the door that gives life. I am the door of salvation. I am the door of eternal life. He is the good shepherd that gives life, gives his life for the sheep. In other words, I'm going to go to the cross. He's only a few months away from going to the cross at Calvary and dying for sinful humanity, dying for you and for me. But what makes John chapter 10, verse 10 and 11 such 
a wonderful declaration that Jesus is making here. Not only does Jesus, our good shepherd, give us life, is the door to life, but he wants to give us and enable us to experience life abundantly. It's not just what he has done for us. And what he has done for us is the most important thing to free us from sin, the greatest need that we have to come to salvation, to come into right relationship with the Father. It only comes through the Good Shepherd. It only comes through Jesus, who is the door. And he's the only one that will bring us to the Father and forgive us of our sins because he died on Calvary's cross, the Good Shepherd who gave his life for the sheep, and he rose again from the grave. But not only what he has done for us, providing eternal life, but what he will do for us now, for us to experience rich pastures. Now, this is important. What does it mean to have life abundantly? Jesus said, I come to give you life, eternal life, and I come to give you life abundantly. So many would answer that by saying, well, it means that you'll be prosperous. You'll be rich. Have whatever you claim, whatever you name. You'll never be sick. You won't have problems. You won't have difficulty. You'll be free from all that. And those who listen to that kind of message are setting themselves up for a huge letdown and delusion and disappointment. Every good gift comes from above. And God does bless us. He blesses us financially, He blesses us physically. Every good gift comes from Him. But for you who are here and you say, you know what? I don't have any money. I don't have a dime to my name. And my car is falling apart. I don't even know if I'm going to make it home. I don't even know if, if, if I'm going to be able to pay the bills this month. Or perhaps you've been feeling sick. Or maybe there's a loved one that loves God that you're praying for, that they're sick. They, they got a disease. Maybe they're suffering from cancer. Does that mean that you, that they cannot experience that abundant life that the Lord has for us? No, it doesn't mean that. And those who say, you know what? Well, you're poor and it's a curse, like the one who's on TV. Or you're faithless. You're sick because you don't have enough faith to be healed or you don't have enough faith for that person to heal them, or perhaps you're going through difficulty and you're going through hard times because of unconfessed sin, and that's what Job's friends are going to be saying to Job in his loss that he goes through, as we will see on Wednesday night. I want you to know this, that they're thieves and they're robbers, and they're out to fleece the flock and to take from the sheep and to rip the people off. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for you. This is the fourth of the I am statements of Jesus. And he's saying, I know you, and I give life and life abundantly. That is, you're going to experience life in the safety and security, and in the peace and the joy and the strength and the wisdom of God. That the Lord says to you this morning, I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to lead you to the green pastures. And I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to give you that joy unspeakable and that peace that passes understanding. You'll have closeness with me. And I'm going to give you a heart of gratitude. And I'm going to give you a heart of love for others. And you will experience life the way it was meant to be lived. And you'll experience, even in the difficult times, 
as well as the good times. And you're going to walk in the light and not in the darkness. And you're not going to get caught up in all of the junk and the lies and the deception and sin of the world. As he says to you and to me, I love you. And I want to do what is best for you. Trust in me and rest in my love, even when in times where it's hard, when there's loss, when there's difficulty. Know that I am still the good shepherd who wants to care for you. I am the one who died for you. The thief is a false shepherd, and he's out to steal from you and to destroy what the Lord has for you. And then Jesus talks about the hireling in verse 12. But in hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. So Jesus points out that a hireling has a tendency, when danger comes, to run away. Contrast that with the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep, who guards and protects and cares for the sheep. He truly is the good shepherd. We know, again, that Peter would write in his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, that Jesus is called the chief shepherd. So he's the good shepherd, he's the chief shepherd, and then in the scripture, we see as Jesus talks about the hireling, he talks about the robber, the, the one who comes and steals, the false shepherd, and all throughout the scriptures, you see that analogy that is used. When you go to the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah, the book of Ezekiel would rebuke the leaders who were considered shepherds, the leaders of God's people, ripping the people off. I think of Jeremiah chapter 23. Uh, I'll read a few verses to you. But the Lord says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doing, says the Lord. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. The Lord also said in Jeremiah chapter 3, that I will raise you and give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. The title pastor translates from the same Greek word as shepherd. So Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd who offers his life as he went to the cross and provided eternal life and also offers life abundantly. He feeds us. He cares for us. He provides for us. And as a shepherd, as a pastor, I am to learn from that and what God's word says. I'm to be an under-shepherd to my Lord. My responsibility to you who I have privilege and an honor to minister to, is to feed and to guard and to protect and to care and to tend. Peter, at the end of this book, we're going to see when he's commissioned to ministry that the Lord's going to say to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. He will say to him, tend my sheep. My responsibility primarily to you because you belong to the Lord is to feed and to tend and to care and to serve and to protect and guard. That is to be the heart of a true shepherd. 
I never, never want to see my position as a shepherd as being a hireling. This is a job. This is a career. Or I want to somehow uh, try to be a celebrity pastor. I want people to notice me. I want to be in the limelight all the time. And you see, anyone who has that mindset, it's just a matter of time when the difficulty comes, when the wolves come, they're going to run away, they're going to split. The Apostle Paul, when he was addressing the Ephesian elders there in Acts chapter 20, he was addressing them for the last time. He said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. He gave them God's word, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the whole Old Testament. And he would go on and say that, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the shepherd, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You see, as a shepherd, it's a calling to those who are overseers, to those who are pastors, ministry leaders. It's not a job. It's not a career. It's a calling, and it's a calling of God by the Holy Spirit. And it's a serious calling. And it is his church, as he says to them, which he purchased with his own blood. And we need to always remember that, that you belong to the Lord. It's his church. And he would say that after my departures, that wolves are going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. They're going to rise up and they're going to speak perverse things. Therefore, you watch. That's the duty of the shepherd. Remember how I told you for three years, you know, day and night with many tears is what he goes on to say. But I want to address not only those who are ministry leaders and shepherds and pastors, but let's address those of you who are parents, fathers, mothers, as you shepherd your home. Your responsibility, dads, as a shepherd of your home is to make sure that in your home that the Word of God is being taught and to protect and to guard and to care for your family, for your flock. So Jesus gives the true definition of a shepherd. He's the perfect example of the good shepherd. In verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my sheep, or my life for the sheep. So the good shepherd knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows your heart. And we know him. One of the reasons why I love studying the word of God is I get to, know, get to know him more. I get to know him more. And as I know him more, I can't help but fall in love with him more. I can't help but want to worship him more and to want to serve him because he is so good. And verse 16, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus now talking about sheep of another fold. What's he talking about? Well, I'll tell you what he's not talking about. The Mormons will come along and say that Jesus is talking about how he's going to visit the North America Indians after his resurrection, and he's going to you know, come to them, and, and of course out of that would come the Book of Mormon. Jesus is talking about the Gentiles, anyone who is not Jewish, that the Gentiles are going to come to salvation. And, of course, in the book of Acts, we see that the uh, gospel would spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, as this thing called the church would include the Gentiles. And so he says that I have sheep which are not of this fold. He's talking about the house of Israel that I must bring, and they're going to hear my voice. That's you and me. 
And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Whoever believes in me, whoever it might be, shall be saved. And then in verse 17, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I, um, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. So Jesus makes it very clear that he laid down his life, gave his life for the sheep, you and me, and he did it willingly. He didn't have to die. He did not have to give his life, but he did because of his love for the sheep that we might have hope and forgiveness and eternal life. Jesus says, I have the power to take it up again, speaking of his resurrection. We serve and love a living and good shepherd, the good shepherd who lives and gives us life and desires to give us life abundantly. Father, we thank you. As we begin this chapter and as we end here, Lord, that the declaration that we're so grateful that Jesus says that he is the door, that he is the good shepherd. And so, Lord, in our hearts, we know that, to give us life and life abundantly. And as we come to the communion table this morning, we know that um, it reminds us that Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. As he went to the cross, and he allowed his body to be broken and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. But before we go to the communion table, as we do at our services, I just want to ask if there's anyone that's here in this service, in this sanctuary, if you're out in a coffee shop, that if you've never given your heart and your life to Jesus, that he is the door to eternal life. He is the good shepherd. He is the bread of life, as we've seen. There's no other way to life eternal. There's no other way to forgiveness of sin. It's only through Jesus Christ and the cross. No one else died for you. No one else rose from the grave. Only Jesus did. And all others who claim to be the way to eternal life, listen, are thieves and robbers. The truth has been given this morning. And the truth has been given in love. Because the Lord loves you, and that's why he went to the cross freely. And if you're not right with God this morning, that taking of communion doesn't mean anything. It's for the believer who holds the elements and says, thank you, Jesus, for this new covenant that you died for my sins. You went through the sufferings, and Jesus went through the suffering for you because it was the only way for you and I to be forgiven and have eternal life because the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ. You come in faith. You cannot earn salvation. It's a free gift, but it comes by confessing that you are a sinner and repenting. That means turn direction and surrender your life to Jesus and come to the cross. Believe that he's alive, and as you do in your heart, as you open up your heart to Jesus, you will be saved. That's the promise of Scripture. And if that means anything to anyone this morning, today is the day of salvation. Will you give your life to Jesus? And you pray right where you're sitting, Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. 
and need of the Savior, Jesus. I believe that he is the door, the good shepherd, who died for me. And I hear your voice. Forgive me of my sins. Be my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for me, and I believe that you're alive. You rose from the grave because you're knocking on the door of my heart, and I now open my heart to you for you to sit on the throne of my heart, my life. And thank you for hearing my prayer. Help me to live for you all the days of my life, Lord. Thank you for saving me. And after the service, if you prayed that prayer, anybody, even if you're out in a coffee shop, as Pastor John will be here to pray for those who need prayer, will you come up and tell them the decision that you made? Tell them that you gave your heart to Jesus. We want to bless you and give you some things that will help you. And Lord, I pray that right now as we just continue in our worship, as the communion elements are handed out, that we would just be at all, and Lord, again, full of joy of what you have provided and given us life through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The ushers will hand out the communion elements. Just hang on to them and we'll partake of them together. <laughs>